This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Hallelujah. Praise God. First Corinthians chapter 1. I want to teach on something I titled Christianity is Weird. Hallelujah. See, Pastor Sam has come again. Christianity is weird. If I wanted to say Christianity must be weird, but I was like, let me know if I do. I even started from Christianity is supposed to be weird, but that would be too long. So let's just put it as Christianity is weird. Christianity is strange. Christianity has to be strange. Hallelujah. And in the next one hour, I will convince you of this. Praise God. Except you have an evil spirit. And I know you don't have an evil spirit. So you'll be convinced. Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I, mentioned, I, I touched on something along these lines. It has been a meditation of my heart for a couple of weeks now. And you know, today, I think the Lord just will just have it that I talk about it today. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Since the beginning of Christianity, this has been the state of things. Since the beginning of Christianity, since Christianity started, this has been the situation of things. That the message of the gospel is foolishness to people who are perishing. People who have rejected it will see it and consider it foolish. It will not make sense to them. There's nothing strange about the fact that you will say some things and the people of the world and outside will say that the message that you guys are talking about does not make sense. It's not strange. For it is written, verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Hallelujah. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. God is able to use this foolish message to frustrate the intelligence of those who think they're intelligent. But what does this mean? What does this mean? If you grow up in certain, um, you know, if you grow up in certain denominations where imprecatory prayers are a big thing, you'll be familiar with this scripture. And it is often read as that God can frustrate your enemies. God can frustrate your enemies when your enemies do something or your enemies want to get you. God is able to frustrate the wisdom that they have. You know, that's one way that people can look at it as the intelligence of the world that God is frustrating. Another way that people can think of it is that Christianity has an inherent intelligence that is better than the intelligence of the world. That when a Christian shows up, you know, this is another denomination, right? America, this is the American gospel denomination. That there's an intelligence in the gospel that is superior to the intelligence of the world. So when unbelievers are speaking, their wisdom cannot reach the wisdom of the gospel. That when they hear the wisdom of the gospel, they will salute and say, no, Christians are wise. Hallelujah. So that wisdom comes first, you know, that kind of thing. There are many ways that people look at it, but let's read what Paul was saying. Because the duty of the believer when you are reading the scriptures is not to find a message that applies to your situation. No. Your duty is to find what the Holy Spirit was saying through the apostles. What did the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to say? What was Paul trying to tell us? Your duty is to investigate what Paul meant to say. It is when you find what Paul meant to say that you now ask yourself, how does what Paul actually said apply to my life? Hallelujah. So it is not for us to go there and pick it out of context and use it like some kind of incantation for our life, for any how we want. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. This is very funny. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast once. And um, it was a podcast on ancient English witchcraft. It's a history podcast, so they, uh, they were looking at ancient witch, um, witchcraft in, among English people. You know English people and British people, you know, they have, you know they have a lot of witchcraft, right? You guys don't know. You think it's only Africa has witchcraft. 
Yeah, they have their witchcraft too. So the way the podcast started, he start the, the the two historians that were on it started by reading an excerpt of a, a spell, a witchcraft spell in English, like an a sample of what it would be, and applied it. That was the time when Putin, Russia started the um, the war with Ukraine. That's when they went on the offensive with Ukraine. I know the old world is on Ukraine side and all that. So they were um, so they were now using Putin. They now put Putin's name in in the witchcraft. I did not read it, and did not read it. I'm telling you, what they read sounded so much like setting prayers. I'm not, I'm not joking. The way they were reading, he said, oh, oh, hear ye, Putin, and fire shall come upon you, and you shall die by fire, and a hammer will... I'm not joking. That English witchcraft actually sounded like... You guys think I'm playing. I'm going to go and look for it and send it to you guys, so you can listen to it. I know I'm not lying. It sounded just like setting prayers that you hear. Hallelujah. Let me just go on. Verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Okay. So we're going to get an understanding of what Paul, what Apostle Paul is talking about. There's a wisdom in the world that among teachers of the law, that is the Pharisees and Sadducees, that God made foolish. Among the philosophers is serving the Greek people. Among the Greek people, what is the wisdom among them that God has made foolish? Verse 21. He now says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So Paul now tells us what exactly is going on here. He now says, God chose... Something happened. The, through the wisdom of the world, that means through the teachers, through the wisdom of the teachers of the law, and through the wisdom of the Greek philosophers, neither of them were able to know God. And it pleased God that through what they think was foolish in the gospel, God now used that foolish message to save people. So, what is this wisdom? that God has that is confounding the wisdom of the wise that sounds like foolishness to those who are perishing. It is the gospel of Christ. And it is through that gospel that people can know God and it is through that gospel that people can be saved. So what the world thinks is foolish is God's method and God's, both the means and the end is foolish to God, uh, to, the, to the people of this world. So God comes and says, I want to save humanity. And I want humanity to know me. The way they will know me is through the gospel. When God comes and says that to people of this world, the people of this world are going to say, that doesn't make any sense. First of all, if people want to be saved, this is how they should be saved. This is, this is what they should be saved from. God comes and says, when I want to save people, this is what I am saving them from. People of the world are like, that's nonsense, bruh. What you are saving us from is, is not what we need saving from. We want to be saved from something else. And as if that, that's not bad enough, how God wants to bring that to be, how God is going to save people and make people to know him, the people of the world also disagree with his methods. And that's why it is foolishness to them. Let's go on. So Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. What we are preaching is a stumbling block to the Jews. They can't understand it. They, they can't get over it. When they come near it, they, they keep tripping. They keep tripping. They keep falling because they just can't get it. And to the Greek people, it is foolishness to them. It is foolish to the Gentiles. Because what God wants to achieve and how he wants to achieve what he's achieving does not make sense to them. Because what God wants to achieve in the first place makes no sense to them. And how he wants to achieve it will not even make less sense. And this is the reason why Christianity is weird. This is the reason why Christianity has always been weird. You know there's a subtle feeling 
now that we have come to the postmodern era and Nietzsche has done all the evil that he wanted to do in his philosophy that scattered the 20th century, and then after that, the postmodernists came and all those philosophers caused problems in the Western world. There is a feeling that there was a time when Christianity made more sense to people. You understand what I'm saying to you? There's a feeling, when you think of Christianity now, when you talk about proper Christianity, people will look at you weird, and there's a feeling that maybe if you were, you even hear it in movies, they will tell you that your religion is archaic, is an outdated religion, because in their mind, what they are thinking is that there was a time when people did not have science, when Christianity made sense. There was a time when people did not know anything, when Christianity made sense. What I'm trying to tell you now is that for the people of the world, that, that feeling is actually a lie. It's an anachronistic looking of, at history. It is a wrong way of looking at history. There was actually never a time when Christianity made sense to the people of the world. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? There was never a time when Christianity made sense to the people of the world. There was never a time. There was never a time. There was never a time like that. Why? Because what God wants to achieve, which is that man knows him and that man is saved from his sins, is something that the world does not care about. The natural man's estate, the natural impulse of the natural man wants to survive because he's living by his flesh. And in the flesh of man, which man shares in it, to a large extent with many of the other animals, what man wants to achieve or maximize is just the ability to survive on this world. So the things that a man, the natural man, is, has prioritized are things like food, money, sex. And if a natural man is thinking of what he should be saved from, what the natural man will think of is poverty, looking ugly and undesirable to people. Do you understand? Not wanting your enemies to be physically stronger than you. Because if you ask a natural man, what do you want to be saved from? You will th what you will think of is, I want to be saved from poverty. I want to be saved from things that would not maximize my ability to survive in this world. That's what he's thinking of. But God comes and says that what I want to save you from is your sins. And the natural man is like, sins? Who sin help? And how does he want to do that? By the preaching of the gospel. And what is that gospel? That God became a man. God became a man. He took on incarnate. He became incarnate. And came into this fallen world. And died on the cross. Paying for their sins. And by that, man can be reconciled to him. And man can know him again. When you tell a natural person. That that is how you can be saved. That that's the method to be saved. It doesn't make any sense at all. Like, what is the meaning of that? You tell a Roman that is what to be saved. What do you mean by that? You tell a Jewish man that that is how to save him. He's looking like you, like, what, what are you talking about? He will tell you that sins are paid for with the death of animals. And God cannot be a man. Therefore, what you are saying makes no sense. You are telling a Roman all that and he's telling you what kind of useless God is God that dies on a tree. A God must be like Jupiter. He must have a lightning rod to kill and destroy his enemies. He must be able to bathe in the blood of his enemies. Dionysius must be, must be able to seduce the wife of all the gods and all the... You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense to them. But guess what? Verse 25 now says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. That means that thing that God is doing that doesn't make sense to the world is actually better than the way the world does its things. It is actually better. And this is the reason why Christianity is weird. Everything that God does God's ends and God's means are very different from that of the world. 
the way God does his things, and by extension, the way we will do our things, must, will always be different from the way the world does his things. I said all those things to try to explain something for you to understand very well. The kind of objectives, the kind of goals that the world has is different from the kind of goals that God has. And therefore, the kind of goals that Christians will have will also be different. The way we achieve those goals will be very different from the way the world goes about achieving its own goals. It will be very different. Let me say it again one more time before I go into the explanation proper. The kind of goals that the world has is very different from the kind of goals that God has. And the way God chooses to achieve his goals, and by extension we also, is very different from the way the people of this world like to achieve their goals. Why am I saying this? What I just said now, as a believer, must be something that you understand thoroughly and must saturate your heart. It must fill your heart. Your heart must completely understand this simple truth that you and the world are different. You and the world are different. Christianity has to be weird. Christianity has to be weird. If you find yourself in a place where you and the people of the world are agreeing in values, you are agreeing in the goals of your life, you are agreeing in the ways that you are achieving those goals, there's a problem. Is that a good thing or a very bad thing? Is that the world is not the world, they're just Christians? Or you are not really saved? That's what I just said now. You understand what I just said? There's nothing strange about the fact that if you say the truth of God's word, word, it will be offensive to the world. Being ratioed for saying the truth of God's word should be normal. It should be normal. It means everything about the way we conduct our lives cannot be the same as the world. Everything, oh, let me start breaking it down. The family unit, the way the world has come into, as the way the world has come, and postmodernist and neo Marxists, which are doctrines that are not of God, have taught the world now is that the family unit is that everything in this world is about power. And they will steal from Christianity and say everybody has inherent value. Therefore, men and women are equal. Duh. Who taught you people before? Did you guys believe it before? Was it not when Christianity came that we taught people that men and women are equal? You now come and say, in the family unit, there should be no head. Because in the family unit, if there's a head, it is oppression. And Christianity is an archaic religion. Now we're in the 21st century. Every family can have two pilots, co-pilots. And if you have a co-pilot, when you make decisions, you make decisions by consensus. And when they are saying it, when the wisdom of the world is talking, if you don't know where you are coming from, if you don't know, let me sound like our people, if you don't know that you are not of Babylon, that you are of Jerusalem, <laughs> hey, and you want to be behaving like the Babylonians, their wisdom will sound sweet. And the wisdom of God in the scriptures for how the family's unit should be set up will sound foolish to them. But you will not be trying to appease them. You want to impress them. You are afraid of because they will make it sound like as if they are the ones that are cool. They are the ones that are wise. Where is their wisdom? Where is their intelligence? You will not be asking yourself that, am I truly believing something funny? Am I truly believing something weird? Is the, is the Bible truly misogynistic? The wisdom of the world wants to do its things in a certain way. And you are allowing it to corrupt your heart to want to behave like them. But no, this is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is how God does his things. 
Let's open Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at from verse 8. It says, For once you were in darkness, but now you are in the light. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So the conduct of children of the light is what pleases the Lord. So find out what pleases the Lord. He now says, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So there's a, there's a way children of light behave that pleases the Lord. They are supposed to find out and it's supposed to be different from the way children of disobedience behave. Verse 13 now says, but everything exposed by light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as what? Wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are what? Evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So wisdom is doing what pleases the Lord. Wisdom is walking in the will of God. You know, growing up, I used to think, you know, you know, growing up, we thought that, we used to think that wisdom means to have high intelligence quotient. You say, well, Solomon was the wisest man in the world. Listen, Solomon was the wisest man in the world. And he was very wise because he could write all kinds of poems. He could do all kinds of things. And he made the nation of Israel very rich. So, if you say, this is about the handling of God's word. So, in bad handling of God's word, you would want to think that wisdom is IQ. That a man that can write plenty poems, I can organize an economy. A man that can tell a man and a, wo and a woman that a, two women that are fighting, divide the baby, and you'll be able to know the true mother. You now say, that kind of person is the one that has wisdom. But wisdom is not IQ. Wisdom is not IQ. The wisdom that God gave Solomon was that God showed him things. God gave him an expanse of mind to be able to understand certain things about his will. Especially with respect to the way human beings conduct themselves. The way human beings behave and all those kinds of things. God was able to show Solomon his will. Because what Solomon asked for was wisdom to be able to rule God's people properly. And that's the prayer that God answered. How to be able to rule God's people so that they can behave like God's people. It was not about IQ. So wisdom is knowing what the will of God is. Wisdom is knowing how God does his things. Wisdom is knowing what God wants to achieve and acting accordingly. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's why it calls it the wisdom of the God that confounds the wisdom of the, of the people of this world. Is how God chose to make man know him. It is how God chose to save man. So wisdom is actually knowing what God wants to achieve and how he wants to achieve it and align it. That's why Solomon tells us from the beginning that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When a man fears God, when a man fears God and he knows what God wants and he submits to it, Solomon said it's the beginning of what? Wisdom. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Growing up, they'll say wisdom is when, you know, growing up the way... <laughs> Um, you know, they'll give examples and say, um, as a pastor, something happened with, you know, building, um, there was a construction that was going on, and it was difficult to get the machines into the, into the auditorium that was being fixed, and all that. Wisdom is when, you know, now and people have found, what can we do? Do we have to break a part of the auditorium to get the equipment in and everything? And then, you know, the man of God now gets an inspiration and now says, you know, let us reduce the tires of the cranes. When you reduce the tires, to be able to pass through the door. And say, that's the wisdom of God. I'm not going to dispute that. But the wisdom of God in scripture is not about calculating the size of tires to get a car into the building. Because even a non-believer can think of that. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? The wisdom of God is knowing what God wants and how he does his things and aligning. So the moment we begin to find ourselves having common goals with the world and conducting ourselves like the world and we think that we are being wise, we are actually going back into foolishness. There is a pressure. And one of the evils that comes up that pushes people to want to begin to act like the wisdom of the world is when there's an emphasis on earthly results. 
Because the wisdom of the world has its kind of results. And by the time you begin to have conversations where people are talking about results, 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 one of the things that begins to happen, especially if you're a child of God, a, a true child of God, one of the things that begins to happen is that you would even know what God wants to achieve and you will find yourself being pressured with trying to achieve it by human wisdom. There's a way human beings go about achieving their goals. So as a Christian, because you have seen it in God's word, you know what God wants to achieve. You'll find yourself wanting to go about achieving that thing by human wisdom. You find yourself wanting to go to achieve that thing by human wisdom. And so, this thing can actually permeate every part of our lives. This thing can permeate every part of our lives. We know what God wants to achieve. We know that God wants to cover the earth with his children. We know that God wants all the nations of the earth to come to him. We know that God is not willing that any man perish, but all come to the knowledge of Christ. And we know that God wants more churches to be spread into the earth. Into the earth. But there is a way God does it. And there is a way human beings expand their organizations. When human beings want to expand their organizations, there is a way they go. They go about it by calculating feasibility, doing psychology, doing all kinds of things, doing franchising. That is the reason why an American company that was started in America, like Domino's and um, all those companies, right? They can be in Nigeria. And the person that started Domino's Kentucky Fried Chicken is in America. He has never come to Nigeria before, but he can spread. I want to spread, but there's a worldly way of spreading. You can spread like KFC. Sure, you know. And how do you spread like KFC? You do what KFC does. Have a franchise. Give people your brand. Send them to a place and let them gather around the brand. But that is not how God wants to achieve that. How does God achieve it? He sends the word man. And the man starts the work and begins to grow God's people. So I get what I'm saying to you. In the office, there's a way that people go about getting promotions. And the way you get about, about getting promotion is that you try to outshine your colleagues. And every opportunity that you get, you use Machiavellian tactics, like 48 laws of power. Use style to discredit your colleague that you are competing with. You style, when they are not around, to highlight how bad they are. When you can, don't help them. If you have any opportunity to bring them down, you use that. That is the way that the world goes ahead to get promotion in the office. But believers don't go about getting promotion like that. A believer would even help the person that he's working with. He will support him. As he's working hard, he's, he will not slander. The person can be slandering him, but he will not repay evil for evil. The other people in the office can say, ah, Ode, Ode. He does not even know how to get ahead. If you want to get ahead, this is what you do. He's looking at them and saying, the wisdom of God sounds like foolishness. But in the long run, it will show. So try to get what I'm saying to you. The wisdom of the world is that you are looking for a marriage partner. You will not be in talking stage and chatting with like five girls at the same time. Because you don't know which one will click. And you are playing mind games with them. You look out for their issues. This one has daddy issues. This one has money issues. And you are playing and you are torturing the person. Gaslighting the person. The person accuses you that you are not even checking up on me. It's been all day. I'm the one always calling you. You are not calling me back. It's not fair. It's not good because I don't feel wanted. I don't feel needed, which is not the wrong thing. You now say no. You now gaslight the person. And say no. I'm actually being very, very busy. Do you want me to walk and make the person feel like as if the person is the one that is mad? Because the way the people of the world go about maintaining control in their marriage is by doing mind games with people. But a Christian, you enter a relationship and you'll be vulnerable. 
you allow the person you are dating or the person that you are married to to have the opportunity to cheat you. In Christianity, you, this is the wisdom of God. You'll be vulnerable. You will open up yourself to the person knowing that the person can take advantage of you and they've broken your heart before, but yet you remain vulnerable. This is why Christianity must be weird. The people in the world, when they head organizations, they begin to create personality cults among themselves, around themselves, so that they can get power and have influence over people and they can scale their organizations and all that. And it begins to affect the way they dress. It begins to affect the way they do their things. They begin to do charismatic things that can attract people to the, to, uh, of the world to themselves. But the minister of the gospel cannot be doing personality cults. You cannot be gathering people around yourself to worship you. You cannot be manipulating people to go ahead. This is the reason why if, when you go down to chapter 3, Apostle Paul was saying something about the ministers. He did not say let each man take heed what he built. He said let each man take heed how he built. Because you can build a 5,000 structure, 5,000 member structure and in your mind you have done ministry and God is looking at you that you have done nothing. Christianity is meant to be weird. You are the head of an organization that has 10,000 members. In the world, when a man is the head of an organization that has 10,000 members, there are certain things expected of that man's lifestyle. He begins to, he needs to drive certain kind of cars. He needs to have certain kind of jets. He needs to dress in a certain way and begin to look funny in a certain way and begin to comport himself in a certain way. But the world, in Christianity, we don't do that. We come from a kind of place where God became incarnate and they came to pick him and they could not tell him different from his disciples. Did you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? God became incarnate. How does Jesus dress? How should the minister dress? You dress in such a way that if they come and pick you, they cannot tell you from your church members. Guys, I get what I'm saying to you. This is the thing. The wisdom of the world is very ubiquitous. That means, oh, God help me. The wisdom of the world is all around us. Like a fish inside water. You know fishes are the last people to know that they're inside water. If you ask a fish, what are you in? They'll just tell you that I'm in the world now. There's nothing. You are the one that knows a fish is inside water. The wisdom of the world is so much around us that we can begin to think that it is a status quo. And when a believer is acting as they should and you are standing against the status quo of the world, you, they begin to look at you as weird. The fact that the wisdom of the world is the status quo does not make it right. Because there's this impulse, there's this instinct that we have as human beings that when all of us are used to something, when something is common, we, pay, we think that it's right. Because it is everywhere, it must be right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so to speak against something that is everywhere means that you must be a very weird person. Like, why is your own difference? But the fact that everybody's doing something does not make it right. That's why there are some examples that you don't make. You don't, they, they, they cannot criticize a minister of doing something and you say, even unbelievers, what is wrong with you? Like, like, look at, listen to yourself. You say, even unbelievers used to look at yourself. You say, a pastor did something wrong. You say, eh, even unbelievers, what is, what kind of, are you thinking? So, I'm saying to you. Okay, I was giving, I was talking about the example, but I didn't finish. The wisdom of God for the Christian family unit is that the man should stand like Christ as the head of the church and love the church and give himself for her. That is the wisdom of God. If you go into the world, they will tell you as a man, don't tell your wife everything. Don't expose your wife, everything to your wife because she will take advantage of you. Women are very dangerous. Oh, Biri. Oh, Biri. <laughs> oh, Biri. <laughs> you know all those things. And they are telling you that be careful of women. But no, the wisdom of God is that Christ, God in the flesh, will come and wash the feet of his disciples. That he will die and give himself for them. Even when he knows that he will, they will spit on him, he will still die. So I get what I'm saying to you. The wisdom of God is, wife, submit and honor to your husband. Both of you are joint heirs. Not as inferiors, but joint heirs of Christ. However, in the family unit... That man should have the final say. 
I say no, feminism. We are feminists. The two of us must have financing. Listen to me. Do you want to be a Christian or not? If you want to be a feminist, go and marry an unbeliever like you. So that as you are not submitting to him, him too will not love for you, love you and die for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? You are looking for a man that will die for you like Christ died for the church, but you don't want him to be the head of the church. Do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? If you don't want to submit to, to a man, go and look for a man that will not die for you. And you too, you want to marry to someone that will submit to you. Oga, die. When you tell a non-believer this, if they listen to this message, they will say those Christians they are crazy people. Oga, no be today. It's 2,000 years now. We have been crazy and weird for 2,000 years. And we will continue to be crazy and weird. Because the wisdom of this world is not the same as the wisdom of God. What God wants to achieve and how he achieves it is different. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter, chapter 1. He now says, verse 26, he now says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were what? Influential. Not many were of what? Noble birth. Ah! I have a lot to say about this. I have a lot to say. When God wanted to pick the people that he will save, that he will use to save other people in the world, who did he pick? People that were not influential. People that were not noble. People that were not rich. You will now come with your big mouth 2,000 years later and say the people that God wants to use are those that are rich and influential. You know, if I want to sound like a didache, I should just call you a false prophet. Guys, are you, reading what, are you reading what I'm reading? That is the reason why you tell somebody that this thing is wrong. You cannot be telling God's people that the people that he wants to use are the rich and influential. They will tell you no. How then will you take over the world? It is only rich and powerful people like Joseph and Daniel that can take care of the world. That is the wisdom of the world talking. You are talking like a non-believer. The wisdom of the world is that might is right. And if you want to get things done in the world, you use physical might. But the wisdom of God is that I will choose the poor. I will choose the uninfluential. I will choose the people that don't know anything that are weak amongst you to do great things. That's why it sounds very appealing. The whole takeover thing. That's why it sounds very appealing. Ask yourself something. You want to go about doing something and the way you want to go about it is exactly the same way a non-believer would do it. Do you know that in many ways the takeover doctrine is, is a mirror image of the Islamic Islamization agenda? Do you know that? It's, 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 it's just mirror opposites. The, the, the Islamization agenda is we want to put influential people in positions of power so that we can control the levels of power and influence. And so we can take over the country. You now say, we too, we are going to come like Daniel and take over influential power. You are sounding just like them. But the wisdom of God is not the wisdom of this world. So do you see that when I was fighting against those things, you, see, you can see where I'm coming from. It's not, it's not as if I was crazy. He says, but God chose the foolish, verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. How dare you come and tell God's people that if they are weak, God cannot use them. Who are you? How dare you tell God's people that if they are weak, God cannot use them very well? Who are you? Verse 28. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. This is how God does his things. 
The women of the world, when they want to look for who to marry, they look for a man that has a car and has a mark and has started coding. He's a middle-level developer, senior-level developer. <laughs> because that is how they go about their things. But the woman in Christ is looking for a man after God's heart with whom she will build something. The men of this world, their minds have been damaged and warped by the media of this world. And when they are looking for the wife to marry, they are looking for only certain kind of physical specifications. Specifications that are informed by satanic knowledge. But the wisdom of God is different. The way God will find up, have us go about finding a partner is different. Hallelujah. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has given us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let no one boast. Let, one, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. That means a minister is going about ministry and he's never boasting about the size of his congregation. That is the wisdom of the world talking. You know, there's a way you will not boast with your mouth, but you boast with your body. You know. There's a way you will not boast with your mouth, but you boast with your body. There's a way that someone can be whining you with their mouth, but be abusing you. You guys understand what I'm saying? Someone can say, ah, Baba, now you, now you, nobody, they like you, but you know that he's abusing you. You understand? You know that there's, not, there's nothing in your body. The same way someone can be forming, um, we just give God thanks. For everything we are doing, we just give God thanks. We just give God thanks. And it's like this. We just go, we, we give God thanks for what he's doing. If not for God, we won't be here. Hallelujah. If not for God, we won't be here, you know? And he's, he's putting certain kinds of posts out. Certain kind of things out. You know. What a man shows off is what a man is boasting in. Do you understand what I just said now? Let me say it again. You didn't hear. What a man shows off is what a man boasts in. What a man puts out for people to see about himself is what the man is boasting in. He does not have to open his mouth. That's why a man that is orally mute, a man that cannot talk with his mouth can still boast. Because boasting is not in what you say with your mouth. Boasting is what you demonstrate, is what you show off to the world. So if what you keep showing off to the world is the amount of material power that you have, the amount of material acquisitions that you have, you are boasting in that thing. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You are boasting in that thing. So Christianity must be weird. 2,000 years ago, when it was fashionable to kill weak children, you are not sure if this pregnancy is going to be, it's not going to be good. The Babalawa has told you, the shaman has told you that the pregnancy is going to be a female and it's normal to abort the child. It's normal because it's survival of the fittest. You belong to an empire where you need to be strong so you can take over other countries. It was normal to kill your children. Christianity came and said, you must not abort your children. She been now, you guys are even having mouth because of what Christianity has done to still try to philosophically argue why abortion is bad. That time, they did not even have any basis to stand on when Christians were already telling each other that we must not abort. You must not kill your children. So that's why the worst to be arguing now and you'll be afraid to say a Christian should not be abort. You say, yeah, you are weird. I'm not weird. Okay, well, yes, I'm weird. I'm a Christian. The child in the womb should not be murdered. Leave me, I am weird. He said, whatever a man can, whatever a man wants to do with his body is his problem. Well, as long as he's two consenting adults. So even if two men want to be having sex with themselves, or two men want to have sex with themselves and get married, they are not doing anybody harm. Therefore, allow them to be. Oga, I am weird. This thing you are doing is what? Evil. 
See, those Christians are weird people. Yes, we are weird. But God did not create a man and another man to be collaborating. It's between a man and a woman. If the lust for another man as a man comes up inside of you, it's not today that lust is coming, all right? It's not today. You will do what all Christians do when they have lust. You understand what I'm saying? You will do what all Christians do when they have lost. When a man is lusting after another man's wife, what does he do? Is he not self-control? That's what you two will do. Say those Christians are backward people. They don't understand. They are clinical phobic. It is with my chest. I'm telling you now. I am very phobic. Very, very phobic. Put anything you want in front. I'll take it with my chest. No be today. <laughs> you say the church is meant to be a, a welcoming. I'm giving you real examples because when I'm telling you that the wisdom of the world is different from wisdom, you know, you just be saying, ah, Pastor, it's true. Thank you very much. We hear you. You don't understand the implications. These things, this thing I'm saying, this thing I'm showing you now, it has serious implications. The wisdom of the world is that when you want to grow an organization, what do you do? You welcome them in. Allow them to be themselves so that your numbers can what? Grow. That's the wisdom of the world. You don't discriminate. Bring everybody in so that your numbers can grow. That is not the wisdom of God. Though. The wisdom of God is not for the wisdom of God was never to grow the church like that. Seeker sensitivity is human wisdom for church growth. Seeker sensitivity is human wisdom for church growth. By the time you find yourself strategizing to grow your church, you now ask yourself, feasibility studies, what do people like? What do millennials like? Millennials like LED TV. Therefore, let us buy LED TV. That is the wisdom of the world speaking. You say, let us have greeters so that people can feel welcome. People want to be feel welcome. So let us have greeters at the gates of the church so that if they are clapping for them, they will feel welcome. I'm not saying that is wrong in itself. I'm talking about your mind process. I'm talking about the wisdom you are playing with. You are going by how the world grows organizations to grow the church of God. When what you are meant to be doing is asking yourself, how does the world grow people's churches? How does Christianity grow? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? That is the reason why the size of your church is not a comment on your faithfulness to God who they say it's only two pastors that have small churches that talk like that. But God knows. No, God knows. God bearing me witness. And God will preserve all of you to see it 20, 10, 20, 50 years from now. God forbid that you gather a church and you don't even know who is saved and who is not saved. He say, what kind of programs do people like coming for? Let's be organizing special programs and relationship seminars. Because that is what attracts people. You are talking like a non-believer. Be careful. You are beginning to sound like the Greeks. Be careful. How does God do his things? How does he do his things? That is wisdom. That is wisdom. So that's why wisdom is not IQ. And so that means that if you do things the way God does these things, you will see the end that God desires for his people. You understand what I'm saying to you? Are you with me? They will tell you. They will want to show the, their own goals as equivalent in value to God's goals for a marriage. And we expect you to want to make goals that are like theirs. Don't fall for it. A lot of people are trapped in a lot of kind of, um, they're trapped in a kind of confused state because of this thing. They see God's word and what the goal is but they are stuck in a world where worldly wisdom is common. So they find themselves constantly going about things through worldly wisdom. And they are surprised that they are not ar arriving at God's goals. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? They find themselves constantly using human wisdom. But they are not arriving at the will of God as displayed in the scriptures. And they are wondering why. The wisdom of the world is that when you employ people, you don't pay them well. You will be paying all those mind tricks. You will not pay them at the right time of the month. 
you will hold back their salary a little bit so that they will not be able to resign on time and all those tactics with money wisdom that people are using to get ahead. But a Christian employer cannot behave like that. Yes, I'm saying to you. Unbelievers that are employees know how to manipulate their masters. They know how to steal their masters from their masters and do things to their masters. Because they will, then they will justify, they will say, these masters are bad people. A Christian employee does not do like that. The way we go about our things is different. Hallelujah. So thank you what I'm saying to you. So your Christianity is meant to be weird. Christianity is meant to be weird. The only people that your Christianity will not be weird to are those who are Christians or Christians adjacent. You understand what I'm saying by Christians adjacent, right? Christian adjacent are those that maybe they taught them Christian behavior, but they're not actually saved. You know, there are a lot of people like that that are raised in Christian homes. You know, this thing is very, very possible where you can raise a child growing up in Christian home, going to church every day with you, but the child never actually understood what Jesus did. Do you know that? That's Christian adjacent. They think they are saved, but they are not saved. The only people that your Christianity, your behavior should not be weird to are people who are Christians or Christians adjacent. The people of the world are meant to find you weird. When the people of the world want to relax, they go into alcoholism and get drunk and sleep around with women. And that's the way they relax. Ah, the way we relax is we do all those kinds of things. But Christians, the way we relax is to sing hymns and spiritual songs and hang out with other believers and fellowship with other believers. We say, you are so dry, you are so boring. Oh my God, you don't even need to go to the club. Your life is very boring. I'm a Christian. My life is weird. You say, uh-uh. You are, you are 23 years old as a girl. You've never had sex before. Oh my God, your life is very boring. I'm a Christian. My life is meant to be weird. I remember when I was doing house job, and my colleague, the doctor, my, my, my colleague, my doctor colleagues were joking about it, and I say, ah, this fine boy pastor, ah, at in now they be you know this, all those slangs they always say, ah, I was like, yeah, I'm saying, no, I've never said that lie. I say, bro, no, I don't. In fact, it's not the funny thing. You know when you're in school and you're among Christian pastors and everything, and you hear what your colleagues are doing. And, but even when you are hearing what you are doing, because the guys around you in school too were also pastors like you, you are still kind of insulated. You are not really seeing anything. And then you now go out into the real world where you are now living by yourself and your next door neighbor, right, is, is an unsafe person. <laughs> and you are seeing ladies coming and going out. You know the first time I saw ladies coming and going, I was like, ah, how come this guy has so many female friends? I'm not joking. I actually thought that. How come this guy has so many female friends? Like, ah, you don't even have male friends. They're always coming to see you. They really like you and they will cook for you. Different ones. I'm not joking. From the bottom of my heart, I did actually think when someone comes to spend the night in someone's house, in my mind, they are just talking. <laughs> and my colleagues actually thought I was weird. And I'm not joking. God is my witness. You see, ah, this guy, that's so strange. I'm a Christian. Christianity is meant to be weird. The world will have its reasons for showing you that you are foolish because you're not getting the kind of results they want they are getting. But their results are not the kind of results that Christianity wants, that God even wants in the first place. God will be pleased with you if you are vulnerable with your partner and your partner takes advantage of you. God will comfort you and God will reward you. You will not say because of that, they've broken my heart, I'm going to the street, I'm going to break everybody's heart. That is the wisdom of the world talking. You open up yourself. When you do that, you will now find yourself filled with the fruits of righteousness. You'll find yourself living by the purpose of God for your life. You'll find yourself living in the kingdom of God for your life. You find yourself having the kind of fruits that God wants you to have. You in your life will look at yourself and you will know that you are complete. The world may look at you. You know, sometimes they may actually look at you and admire it, honestly. Because, I mean, imagine a Christian family where both of you goes by the wisdom of God. 
and both of you are, are good and you are blessed and you are having a great time together. The people of the world that have been doing things by the wisdom of the world, that have seen all kinds of things, going from pillar to post, going and pillar to post, and the man will show him, show her pepe, she too, she will be doing pepe, she's in a third, or, you know, third, she's a third boyfriend or a third husband, she's now on Instagram and Instagram, and you know those comments, and they look at you and say, ah, you know, you know that sometimes, but there are sometimes when they're looking at you and looking at you like your life is boring. It doesn't matter. That's why we Christians, we are dead to both the praise and the criticisms of the world. Did you hear what I just said now? You didn't hear. Let me say it again. We Christians are dead to the, both the praise and the criticisms of the world. If you are enjoying the praise of the world, don't come and tell me that when they criticize you, it's not pain you. And if the criticism of the world is paining you, don't come and tell me that when they are praising you, it will not sweet you. Their goals and their method is not the same as our own. So we don't have anything in common. Let them say what they want to say. We will stand in what the will of God is for us. Just like what I'm saying to you. That's why in Christianity, the end does not justify the means. I've been saying this thing over and over. Let it sink into your heart. In Christianity, the end does not justify the means. You don't say, as long as it will help the kingdom to grow, how I will go about it is okay. You don't say, I'm chasing money to finance the kingdom. The end does not justify the means. If God does not say that's how he wants to do his things, don't do it like that. If God did not send you to be kingdom financier and he says, seek the kingdom, you too seek the kingdom. Leave the financing to him. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Because the end does not justify the means. You will go and follow the wrong end and you will find yourself in Kafanchan when you are going to Lagos. This is how many of them started. And they entered the world and they've not come back. When we're in school, ExxonMobil cannot pay me. Shell cannot pay me. We are going to make plenty money. That's what we say in school. I'm going to make plenty, plenty money. I'm going to build auditoriums for God. That's not what God sends you. God will provide. You do his will. He will fund his will. He will prosper you according to the work he has sent you to do. The end does not justify the means. You don't ar arrange sexy women in skimpy clothes as ushers to attract men to your church and say the, the, the body of Christ is expanding. That's not the body of Christ. That's the, that's the body of Satan. The end does not justify the means. You don't say we'll be doing special programs. We'll do special programs so that people can come. <laughs> the end does not justify the means. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? In, in Christ... Both the end and the means must be according to the will of God. God knows what he wants to do. And God knows how he wants to do it. You must follow through. God knows what he wants to do. And God knows how what he wants to do it. He has revealed it in the, through, the, through the scriptures in the law and the prophets and his holy apostles. And you must follow it. Yes, you will be weird. Yes, you will be strange. That's why Paul told Timothy, ah, Anybody that wants to live a godly life will suffer what? Persecution. There's nothing you can do about it. You will suffer tribulation. Anybody that wants to live godly. Anybody that wants to follow God's how and what. Every man that wants to follow God's how and what will suffer tri tribulation. If you are lucky and you are born into a time where there are plenty of Christians and Christians adjacent around you, good for you. If you are born at a time where they, there are no plenty of Christians around you, you will collect and there's nothing you can do. And you will go to heaven and give God thanks. I get what I'm saying to you. Hallelujah. Christianity is weird. Take it like that. Any impulse inside of you to want to make it less weird, to make it feel less weird to yourself, let it die now. If it has not died before, let it die now. Christianity is meant to be weird. The ways of God and the ways of man are not the same. That's why Apostle John was telling us in John 1 John chapter 2, he was warning us. He said, you cannot love the world and love God. Because both of them, they exclude each other. They are enemies of each other. What the flesh wants and what the spirit wants are not the same. They are constantly at odds with each other. Settle it in your mind now. 
Settle it in your mind now. Settle it in your mind now. You find yourself, you are tweeting things on social media and people of the world that you, you know these people of the world that they reject the gospel and they don't think like Christians. You find them always agreeing with you. There's a problem. I guess what I get what I'm saying to you. The moment where the things of God in scriptures are offensive to you, they are making you feel somehow. But when people of the world talk, you agree with it more. Fam, problem is coming on. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. I say the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. I hope I've been able to convince you and could not confuse you that Christianity is weird. Yeah, let's bow down heads and let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.